Welcome to the Africana Voice podcast. And this week, our guest is none other than Samuel Nyaga Ireri. Samuel Nyaga Ireri is a banking and financial services professional with over 15 years experience working for some major banking institutions in the US. He is based in Minnesota, an entrepreneur and business owner in real estate and a car dealership owner. As a community leader, he is currently serving as the chairman of UDA Kenya Kwanza Coalition, Minnesota chapter, and the extension of the Midwest Af- Midwest America. He's the chairman and board of directors for Making a Difference International, a non-profit focused on providing basic needs for orphans and needy children in East Africa, currently serving uh, the nation of Uganda. Welcome to the show, uh, Samuel. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Morris. Uh, this is a pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, uh, you're doing a great job with the Afri- Africana Voice podcast. Uh, I've seen how it has evolved and developed and uh, continue to informing uh, our people. So thank you for that. Thank you very much. Thank you for the kind words. So uh, last week, uh, we had uh, a musician and, and future presidential candidate Ruben Kigame on the show, where he raised a few issues uh, regarding the Kenya Kwanzaa government that you are a big supporter of. And uh, some of the issues that he raised, which we'll discuss today, is the issues of governance and uh, how it's impacting the diaspora. But before we get into that, I just want to uh, ask you, have you seen the news about uh, this uh, cult leader who has, uh, so far I think they've recovered about 70 bodies which have been exhumed in the coastal area? Uh, very tragic event. Have you seen that? Yes, uh, actually, I, I was uh, watching the news this afternoon, and that's when I learned about it. And I think so far it's reached 72 bodies. Uh, this is heartbreaking. It's uh, very devastating to the families. Uh, actually, my condolences to the family. It's an issue that I think the government needs to take care of it right away. Um, you know, such kind of evil, I believe we, the public, as well as government, should be able to eliminate that from our society. So it's it's very hard breaking um i can't believe it you can't even imagine what those families are going through i listened to some of the testimonies from the parents of some of the children and um, you really can't even imagine how they sleep at night so i condemn that act i yeah, i'm yeah. praying that the full force of the law goes is enacted on Paul McKenzie, uh, who I think is just an evil person. So all we can do is pray for the families, uh, try to see how we can correct this in our society. Yes, yes. So yeah, very tragic event and uh, our sincere condolences as well from the African Voice fraternity. So um, we are are seeing a lot more of uh, very cult-like religious organizations mushrooming in Kenya. I mean, Kenya is is a very religious country. Uh, The religion, uh, freedom to worship, is practiced in Kenya and we see a lot of uh, uh, churches and cults and all these things coming about. Uh, Do you think there's a need to kind of bring some regulation for that so that we can know uh, that who is actually a legitimate church or who is going to be pushing these uh, uh, radical views which might lead to death like we are seeing right now with this uh, new uh, church that has led to already 72 bodies exhumed uh, in the Shakahola forest? Uh, That's that's a very good question. Uh, Mr. Ndoli, that's a, it's a question that um, has to be keenly looked at. You know, there's a fine line between state and church. Even in our constitution, uh, it does state that every person has a right to religion and how you worship. 
Uh, so we understand that anytime government interferes with people's rights, uh, sometimes they go too far. So we also understand that the government has the responsibility of taking care of their people and ensuring that their people are safe. So it becomes a very fine line on that. Uh, what I would say on this is, first and foremost, I think the government should have either a task force or a commission that should be able to educate the public uh, in terms of what cult is, how you should be able to be on the watch out for that. Um, when it gets to personal issues of trying to figure out is how is your religion? How, let me even use this example, how much of a Christian are you uh, and that we should regulate you to start a church or we should regulate the way you worship or who wants to worship with you? You know, that kind of interferes with people's uh, rights and, and, and freedoms. But at the same time, uh, we've seen these issues emerge in Kenya uh, because of, you know, Kenya is a very religious state. Um, so people take advantage of that. Uh, con men take advantage of that. We've seen a lot of people lose money through the church. Um, so the, there should be a way that the government can go about this. And one is ensure that they bring all the stakeholders to the table. That is all the religious leaders yeah. to the table, the government people on the table. And mm -hmm. then they craft a way to move forward with this whereby, yes, people's rights are not infringed on, especially on, on the freedom of religion, as well as people also protected by the government. So I think all stakeholders need to come together. I did see that the church uh, made a statement, um, uh, some clergy came made a statement about this, condemning this, uh, saying, yes, there should be either kind of a regulation, but they haven't really stated what exactly can be done on a personal opinion on that i do believe that if we have great education for people when it comes to these issues being conned being the cult issues then at least people kind of if there's a campaign out there to en enhance people's ability to be able to understand this cult and how it looks like yeah. then that could go uh, far Thank you very much for that. So let's switch gears and get into diaspora issues. Both of us are in diaspora. I am based in California. You're based in Minnesota. So we have our own constituencies that we are exposed to and we get to talk to. So while we are, both of us are in the U.S., uh, the issues of the diaspora are different in every location. The issues in California are not similar to the issues in Minnesota. And the issues in Saudi Arabia are not similar to the issue in China or Europe and all that. So the diaspora is a very, very, very diverse uh, population to work with. There's uh, always an argument whenever the diaspora movement is being spoken to or spoken about by the government they keep saying that oh you guys are not united that's why nothing can get done with you guys uh what do you think uh, do you think it's possible for the diaspora to to have a united front this is something that i've talked about several times and it is true one of the major hindrances for diaspora to be helped is the structures that we have in diaspora having lived here for almost uh, 22 going to 23 years now i can tell you for a fact that yes we are very independent we don't like to be Manage. We, everybody has different ideas, but at the same time, we always want our issues addressed and we want them addressed efficiently, like the way issues that are addressed where we live. When we look at why government and the excuse that the government gives, and not just this administration, actually this administration has done a lot for diaspora, but previous administrations, what used to come up is the issue of having a structure for diaspora. You know, diaspora is huge, you know, because once you step outside Kenya, you're in diaspora, right? From Sudan all the way uh, to America, Qatar, everywhere. Now, what I think 
has happened is previous governments especially they took advantage of that in such a way that they would complain that diaspora has no structure but they did not help to put structures together for diaspora one of the things that we're calling upon and in, in this government because uh, I, I do have a little bit insider information when it comes to this government uh, when we diaspora we were supporting this government we wanted diaspora's issues at the forefront uh, we gave our money to it so it's not just our we were coming to the table with just our mouth but we we made sure that we supported this government because there were some promises that were made that would bring diaspora issues to the table i'll give you a good example when we were working with the then deputy president who's the president now you'd find that in one afternoon he'll meet almost 20 diaspora leaders different functions all coming from america and that the diaspora leaders right so yeah. everybody had their ideas and all that so that makes it difficult for government i believe it's possible uh, for diaspora to have a structure in yeah. first and foremost for example we are divided into states every state knows their issues you mentioned every state has different issues for diaspora so if the local leaders, and when I say local leaders, it's basically the local organizations, because uh, Diaspora has a lot of organizations. If they all came together and put their pride down, especially for the leaders, this is where I blame the leaders mostly, whereby let the people come together and we have a structure. We can copy our structure, like, for example, the way either counties are structured or we can structure ourselves with whereby we have just a few management people for that state. And then we have all the states come together that way. And then we have, let's say, for example, the continent of the America. Then we, you know, the North America, we have our senior leadership there. So that makes it easier for government to communicate to the people directly. And um, yeah. a good example is, for example, these mobile services that just ended. You know, you can tell if you go to every state, everywhere that you can go to, yes, there will be issues that will be discussed. In general, it's a success. But when you get to each specific state, there are issues, uh, issues, for example, of organization of how the messages go around, all that. And that's because they don't have that structure. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. part of it also was uh, I've talked to a lot of people regarding the mobile services, which I think was really an excellent idea by the consulates, uh, the U.S. Cons uh, the Kenyan consulate and the Kenyan embassies to put that together. But most of the people who attended complained that it was a little bit unorganized, but they did not really blame it on the organization of the embassy. They said that Kenyans just did not follow directions on coming in prepared with the documents that they were needed. So it delayed things and stuff like that. So that's a very good example. So a, a little bit deeper into this. Do you think uh, from your example, do you think that uh, the diaspora should have like a governor is that what you're saying not per se a governor what i mean is we should have each local unit organized for example we're using for example this issue of the of the mobile services if we had leaders that we know that the government they're in touch with the government then those leaders would be aware of the mobile services when they're going to be what the requirements are and they will sensitize their communities on that in particular i'll give an example of minnesota for example we found out the days for uh, those mobile services in less than a week. So when you're trying to reach masses who work different schedules, majority of them are not even in the regular social media. That is, uh, some of them are young people, so they're not so much into Facebook and whatever. So we, and then the older people, which 
majority of them are, I would say, in key positions for as leaders of, of our community, they don't have what young people, social medias they use. So you find by the time the word is out, either people are coming not prepared, people are coming to even ask questions at that time, and the time is not enough. So if we had a structure whereby we know who is in charge, then these are the people who would even push the government for them to give us enough notices of when they're coming for those services so people can either take time off because we understand ourselves way better in as much as yes we do have embassies and consulates but yeah. at the local level we understand ourselves better we like in minnesota we have kenyan weekend off right yeah. and so the kenyan weekend off majority of kenyans don't work that weekend so that would be the best opportunity for them to bring those services to us and just a footnote on this a little bit is you'll find i don't know yet uh, but i do hear there was an organization that was given this contract to do that organization did not get in touch with the local leaders that are known they said they had their own representatives here and there so by the time the government grants that contract if it's true that they did that then they should have actually checked with the local communities that hey how does it work because like the previous time we last year we did it here in minnesota we had meetings after that for what really worked what did not work so and in the, the the embassy was on board of really the things that did not work how we can improve on those things yeah so generally it was a good thing it was a, yes, a very was. good thing. It's a very good step in the right direction. So yes. there is some things that we need to improve upon. Clearly, communication is one of them because there, there is no clear media that the diaspora can rely on to uh, disseminate this. I, I mean, Africana Voice is here, but mm -hmm. the people who frequent might were aware of what was going on, but not everybody comes, comes there. So there is a need to kind of identify how we're going to disseminate the information it was a, a lot of it was being sent out on whatsapp groups and yeah. uh, the maximum size of our whatsapp group is maybe like a thousand people yep. so sometimes they do not reach uh, the right people but uh, a step in the right direction so let's go in and talk about the kenya kwanza government what do you think about the Kenya Kwanzaa government uh, putting together the diaspora, the Ministry of Diaspora Affairs, and briefly just describe it? And then uh, one of the questions that is coming up more and more now is how is it going to work? Because it seems to have like there's too many cooks in this kitchen. We have the cabinet secretary, we have the principal secretary, we have multiple principal secretaries, and then we have now uh, CISs in the mix. And then the MPs are also coming in to start their own uh, foreign affairs activities. So <laughs> what, what do you think? Do you think uh, most of the people who are critical about the MPs coming in were saying yeah. that it seems like uh, everybody is trying to get a taste of the cookie jar? What do you think? <laughs> so uh, thank you. That's another very great question. Um, we've had a lot of discussions regarding this, but uh, let me first give a quick review of how this diaspora issue department let me put it that way, came about. When we were negotiating with the Kenya Kwanza government, and actually this started when it was just UDA before the, uh, all the, co the coalition came together, we had a memorandum of understanding uh, with the president, then the deputy president. And one of the key things that we wanted was a diaspora ministry, a standalone ministry. This was a difficult to do. And the president did at that time mention that he really couldn't commit to promising 
a fully fledged standalone ministry for diaspora because number one it did need really to be passed in parliament all these things and then there was the finances and all that but one thing that he kept his promise is he's gonna try to make sure that diaspora has its own department and so when he split the, uh, the ministry of foreign affairs to include the diaspora affairs and we have our, our own ps it's it was a great great improvement from all the other governments um that they've done for diaspora uh, the diaspora docket uh, for the ps has i believe six mandates um that they have to deal with and all these matters touch diaspora one thing that we have also seen is this government is very keen on tapping into diaspora investments and uh, having the diaspora invest in kenya they have looked at all the remittances that um, we do send back home and the part that it plays to the gdp and so one of the goals is to increase that for those remittances to go up not only that to also ensure that people still have that a sense of belonging to kenya whereby instead of investing here we can continue we can invest at home uh, and encourage even our families to understand where they come from especially as we have kids here so we have seen that the diaspora ps is all over so we also have to understand the structures of government and how government works uh, definitely their cabinet secretaries these are the people who help the president they're advisors to the president right so we do have a foreign affairs cs honorable motor who has the two dockets the foreign affairs and the diaspora so kind of managing that his work is to get all the information from the pss go advise the president when it comes to foreign affairs issues as well as diaspora issues so that is very clear the ps is in charge of that department so the ps she's i would say she's the custodian of that department right when it comes to monies for, for that department when it comes to the affairs what does diaspora need she's the one that reports to us as diasporans directly and we can reach her directly to all our issues bring to her before we even go to the cs so and then the cas is that are gonna start definitely the i use i like to call them assistant ministers like the way they were before and their role basically is to help the cs as well as the ps they're a bridge in between their role basically is gonna be there are a lot of issues that the governments need to do and the cs can not just do all that so they'll be representing the cs in majority of the places as well will, as working. they will take they will take delegated duties right they'll be yes delegated. They'll, they'll have delegated duties that is correct okay. yes so the, the the question now becomes uh there's yes. too many there's too many cooks in this kitchen uh there's a uh, cabinet secretary and then there's a principal secretary and in the case of the diaspora affairs i mean I, i've talked to a lot of people they're really happy with what Rosalind. Uh, the principal secretary Rosalind Jogu has done. I mean, I think what she yes. did, the work she has done so far, has mm -hmm. been more than what we've ever seen. But then suddenly there was this other guy who showed up, uh, Dr. Kuril Singoi, who's yes. also now in the mix, and people are confused, like, who's this guy? So, so uh, explain that. So, let me, who's let me, in charge of so, who's so, in charge of diaspora? Is it, so, is it, Singoi is in charge <laughs> of foreign affairs, and when we talk about foreign affairs, we're talking government to government. Okay. Right? There's a huge distinction here. When we talk about diaspora, we're talking at the, about the Kenyan people, the Kenyan citizens being represented and having voice in their government. When you talk about the foreign affairs okay, uh, uh, department, where Singoi now is, this is government to government. So when it comes to issues about, let's say, for example, with America and Kenya having bilateral talks or having finances, helping us out with our debt or giving us borrowing money, that is what Singoi does. He deals with government to government. 
all right okay so all he right. does not deal with our own affairs as diasporans and and that's a huge distinction that people need to understand and know so him is let's say for example the only where they could intertwine is let's say for example some kenyans are held up where there's war right so right. the diaspora ministry will try to mm-hmm. ensure how can each kenyan who's there how can they be evacuated how how do we account for every kenyan and then on the foreign affairs will be hey can you let our plane fly on your airspace yeah. so that's where the distinction is yes so when uh, president william ruto uh, was in germany i did see tingoy did release a statement and then i also saw roslin also releasing a statement and both of them were representing the same government so in that case do you see how that confusion can play out because we have two people representing the same government speaking on the same issues but then they are they are not speaking at the same time do you see how that can be confusing though if you listen to their statements very well their statements are very distinct no listening to their statement requires people to actually do that and you know exactly. with, this, with this current media situation where people are really moving fast a lot of people are not gonna pay much attention to that i've seen the analytics on media consumption now media consumption the average engagement is at least less than two minutes so exactly. when you're really trying to pass a message on it it, it cannot encounter any kind of noise uh, i mean in communication we call that noise and uh, in this case the ministry seems to be sending a lot of uh, cooks in the kitchen but uh, let's not let me, dwell let me, on that let's not dwell before, on that let much. me let me just clarify one thing yeah, here uh, yeah. mr ndole first and foremost thing is we as kenyans need to understand how our government is structured and then also the media i think needs to play a major role in educating people how the structures of government and who's who because we were used to 20 what four years of moi how he did his stuff and then here came the constitution of 2010 yeah. uh we had devolution and in this all mix we have now also kenya kwanza government that's setting itself differently so i think it's the role also of the media not just the government to explain how the structures of government work uh, for people to really understand who's who and what is their role okay fair enough fair enough the media should uh, plays the role of educating people but anyway let's move on to the issues that we are dealing with in the diaspora you have spoken at length about the issue of uh, channeling the remittances to make them investment there is a letter that is posted on Roslyn's Twitter message. The letter itself is called Ministry of Investment, Trade and Industry, State Department for Investment Promotion, Office of the Principal Secretary. So mobilizing diaspora remittances for investment. So when you read this letter, the letter wants to create a mechanism so that the amount of money that we send back in remittances are also channeled towards investment. It's a very good idea. I'm not panning the idea at all. But one of the criticisms that has come out because of, of out of this is it it appears either there is uh the people who have been named in this panel are unknown to most of the diaspora leaders that that are in the uh in the diaspora or are based in kenya do you know these people because i am not very familiar with the names the names that are listed here we have mr lawrence nyanja mr eugene makoha mr samuel kimuyu mr pius rotich Mr. Errol King. Errol King is a, a member of Kenya Diaspora Alliance. So I don't know if that's Kenya Diaspora Alliance, which is affiliated with Dr. Shemu Chudo. I was trying to get Shemu Chudo to come to this uh, podcast and uh, we're still trying to figure out a day when he's going to come on and uh, kind of speak to us about this. 
And then we have Dr. Kent Libiso, who's also a member of Kenya Diaspora Alliance. And then we also have Ambassador Bramwell Kisuya, a member of Kenya Diaspora Alliance. Uh, and I also noticed that most of these are men, there's no women in there as well, in terms of gender balance. So are you familiar with, this, uh, with these people who have been appointed for this? Uh, you know, this, this is the beauty of democracy, right? Yeah. Beauty of democracy is I'm able to criticize my own government when need be. Yeah. <laughs> and as much as I'm a Kenya, uh, Kenya Kwanzaa supporter and uh, part of that, uh, one of the things that we've tried to do is I did see that letter. Uh, we did go ahead and try to address these issues because majority of the diasporans, we don't know these people, right? I know of Kenyan Diaspora Alliance, although majority of its leadership, I don't know if I can still term them as diaspora. So, because we also have to distinguish if uh, you were in diaspora 20 years ago and you go back home, are you still a diasporan, right? So yeah. that is one thing that uh, we have criticized that. Uh, for example, on the let me now even speak on the UDA side. We have what we call the National Governing Council in North America. From that, we have structures and that's how we even have structures for chapters, different states and stuff. These people, we, nobody really knows them. I do understand, and this is where we've tried to advise the government and especially on the, the PS that uh, a lot of people will come from the woodworks, right? Yeah. Trying to take an advantage whereby they've seen, okay, there's interest of diaspora by this government and uh, take advantage of that. When we go back to the initial topic we talked about structures this is where i believe this is the need for structures because if we had clear leadership of diaspora then these are the people who would be working with the government these are the people who would be understanding and bringing this information to their communities now what has happened is the government yes it's in a hurry to establish all these investments for diaspora and the people who jumped on there who looked like they were a little bit well organized with that kenya diaspora association and it's very similar kenya, to what kenya happened diaspora alliance Alliance, sorry, yes, Kenya Diaspora Alliance. And it's very, uh, you know, they've held some uh, events in Kenya, so it's really looked like they're really working. But majority of diasporans, we don't know them. On that list, for sure, uh, personally, I have no idea who those people are. And so one of the things I'm urging my government is to ensure that they work with local leaders first. Local leaders who understand what their issues are one so, of the biggest so by, by local yeah. leaders you mean that they find somebody in the u.s they find somebody in china they find somebody exactly. in the middle east they find yes. somebody in europe so that they can have a cross-section of, of of the diaspora that is correct yes that's okay. what i'm talking about so if if they needed a list of 10 people look at all the continents see where majority of kenyans are appoint somebody for who's already in that continent to understand the issues there and if we had structures then this could have actually channeled very well because we could have started from my local city right here of Kenyans who are here that we eat nyamachoma together, we discuss issues together. Mm -hmm. Then we can bring that to the table as a county or as a state. And then our leader from that state can emerge with another leader from a different state and they can bring all the issues now to the PS. Actually, it would make the work of the government so easier if we have that structure in place. So and I understand with leadership, there's a lot of issues that need first ironed out. But if the government becomes serious to supporting a structure in that, diaspora and they help us with that then we'll be we'll be in a better place thank you very much for that you are listening to the africana voice podcast with me your host maurice nole publisher and journalist with the africana voice company our guest today is none other than samuel nyaga ireri who is the uda representative in the u.s minnesota area
Sam, let's go back and kind of discuss a little bit more about this letter because this letter is, is a symptom, actually is another example of what the diaspora has been talking about. Of course, we, we get criticized for not being organized, not being united and stuff like that, which is, a, in my opinion, is actually a standard that is unattainable because there's no way of uniting such a vast number of uh, continents into one. So, but how do they come up with this list? Do you know, do you know of how these lists are created? Just briefly. What has happened to the government is different organizations have fronted themselves to this government. That one I'm aware of. And if I can speak sincerely, we've had organizations that have tried to be a little bit neutral when it comes to politics. And they have tried to occupy space that majority of us who are especially aligned to the government, when we finished the elections and we know, knew the government was forming, we had proposed a lot of issues for the government to look at uh, when it comes to diaspora. One was participation by diaspora, right? Which is actually a mandate for, for the diaspora dockets. In that participation, we had stated that when it comes to things like, for example, appointments for people who look into our diaspora issues, we want to be involved as a diaspora. Because as you mentioned, yeah, issues will be different. But when it comes to like the issues of remittances, in as much as we're in different continents, it kind of boils down to the same thing taxation of that remittance right mm -hmm. what can we be able to as a diaspora get back from the remittances that we do so we wanted and we had demanded that we get public participation which actually any task that the government wants to do that is going to impact majority of the people or our constituents that is there should be public participation which this idea is a very good idea but i there was no public participation about it because we could have given our views we could have even said hey by the time you form this task Force. these are the things that we want you to to look at and all that but that never happened so that's something that personally i'm faulting the government for i i think they should go back and relook that issue of um of those people who have been appointed there they should have con a connection to the diaspora community at yeah. the moment so they could really understand our issue so that one and that, and uh, that i'm not in line with my government there and that should be the standard for everything. It should be the standard exactly. for uh, the appointments whenever they do things like uh, people working in the consulate. Do they really have to bring people from Kenya to work in the consulate? I mean, they don't have to bring they don't have to. from there. Exactly. I mean, and that's another issue, actually, uh, since you've brought it up real quick here for a second, that we have brought it up to majority of these committees that are coming to America to for fact-finding, uh, all of these other issues. We've brought that issue to them that, yes, we do need more consulates, but we want the people who work in these consulates to be people here we understand the issues here because it saves money saves time uh, by the time you you know you show somebody from the consulate around our i-94 roads and all that and the organizations here that you need to tap into it takes them two years and it's time for them to go back so yeah by the time they even get used to drive around those places yes yeah so it's but but i do understand why they do it it's a reward system the government comes in and they want to reward their loyalists but still we have to have some uh, what we call that the base of the <laughs> the base of the government where we have a staff that is based off from uh, i mean you can change the topic and bring in people at the top but yes. then the people who are actually holding everything together should not be yes. changing and, all the time like that and with that i'm with you and uh i also you know when when the government goes wrong i do criticize it but when it's right i do agree with it for example one thing that the president did 
that I think was very unique and good is when you look at the government formation, the CSs, definitely the CSs have a reward system, of course. The CSs that have been there, majority of them are reward system. But when you look at the people who really work, the PSs and stuff, this time around we've had very competent PSs. And I'll give you a good example. In December, the president was here during the African President Summit that was called by Biden. And during that time, there were discussions uh, with different countries and especially the US and Kenya. And one of the things I, will, I got to be privy of some conversations uh, uh, that happened uh, on the table when Kenya was negotiating some of the terms that uh, uh, they wanted regarding debt and issues with the US. And for the first time, the US counterparts of the PSs and stuff, they were like, this is the first time that we are seeing Kenya has people who actually read every sentence to the comma, to the full stop. They ensure that uh, all their T's are crossed, all their I's are dotted. And so that is to show that the people who have been appointed as PSs are very competent. A majority of them are very well educated. Some uh, majority of them also have actually gone to school outside Kenya, so they understand how the world really works. And so that's something that I would hope at one point when we get to the CSs, there's not that reward system, but you know, we also yeah. understand politics has to play key. But from the PSs, the way they're working, I think it Kenya is gonna go far. And I do have a lot of hope uh, because there are some deals that the previous administrations that US would just give Kenya and people would just sign just to get out of the meeting and not read everything to the T and yeah. they came to to bite us at the back. But uh, this time you can tell, you know, they're very competent people. Thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah, they are. We actually very fortunate to have, uh, uh, for, in our case, for the diaspora docket to have, to have Rosalind Jogu because she has really performed well. I'm actually she has performed. Really, she, really and impressed. I even, I hope, Last I hope time she I talked keeps to up her. that that pace and she doesn't become yeah. a, an operative of the party. Exactly. And yeah. that's why you can see, you know, like we have some internal politics here saying, hey, what were you doing? What happened? Uh, she wants the best for diaspora. Uh, I even asked her the other day, I don't know when she sleeps because every time I either talk to her or text her, she's in a different continent awake at 11 in the morning trying to solve an issue that has come up. Yeah. And uh, for me, if I was the president, I would at least have hired two PSs for this diaspora. And then she's also trying to set base because this diaspora docket was not there. So yeah. she's also trying to ensure that there, there are structures in place. So going forward, uh, that that ministry stands. Absolutely. So far, so good. By the way, when you said that... Uh, you you've you've a little bit uh you're gonna be in in bad bad books with uh, president ruto because he just dissed him you said that uh the pss have, have gone to school abroad but president ruto has not gone to school abroad in fact is one of the least traveled Kenyan presidents in history. Yeah, so, this, guy, yeah. this guy is a doctor. Not only that, uh, when we look at the presidency, I don't, he gets a lot of information. The intelligence that he gets, you can travel all the countries, but you can't have the, the intelligence that he gets on a daily basis. So the presidency really, when it comes to him forming his government, and you can see from how intelligent he is and from the, the good works that he has done, that that has shown with the people that he has appointed. So he had to know something for him to appoint the people that he has appointed. Otherwise, if he himself did not understand how government works and how what it takes to have competent PSs, then he, he couldn't have hired them. So yes, yeah, okay. our president yeah. Nabon is a he's a doctor, so he holds a PhD, so he's a learned guy, man. Yeah, he has a doctorate. So yeah, you umejitetea kabisa. Apo umejitetea umejitetea It's the truth of the matter, man. Yes, I have to admit that President Ruto is a very intelligent man. He did outmaneuver the Azimio group, which was being 
backed by the the sitting government which was quite a feat because yes. nobody thought that he was going to defeat such a machinery although the the azimio except a few you are one of them to your credit good job there and we spoke about it in several forums where you were very confident you're going to win and i was wondering what kind of crack cocaine you were smoking but uh, <laughs> but but you, you were able to prevail and uh, we are switching gears here we're going to switch we're going to come back to diaspora because our, our focus is diaspora today but uh, i just want to get back to kenya there is a lot of anxiety i mean from diasporans and people in kenya that the cost of living and the quality of living is really really bad people are suffering the mp's were here one of the criticisms for the mp's coming to visit in the us was why are you visiting when there's no money to even pay uh, civil servant salaries and uh, right uh, today we saw that the governors yeah waigoro just given the government a two week ultimatum to disperse the funds to the counties or else there's not going to be any counties i don't know what that means is she going to disband the constitution how is she going to erase the counties but we are looking at a situation where we cannot explain if the ruto government is actually competent to govern can you explain to us what is going on because that perception is actually permeating very very strongly there was a rumor i wasn't able to confirm it that some of the embassies and all those who are facing eviction because they have not paid rent for several months and stuff so is that good management and uh, can you explain what's going on over there i know you're not with the government but uh, you are very very closely in touch with them what's going on there so let me start this one with uh, first and foremost i do thank god that uh, his excellency ruto uh, won the presidency uh, because if it was somebody else i don't know what, where we would be at the moment actually to be honest with you but others are um, saying that others are saying that is because of ruto and how he has handled the removal of the subsidies is why kenya is, in, is here that he has really handled the economy incompetently and they have spent more time criticizing raila odinga and huru kenyatta than actually figuring out ways to run the government so people are saying it's him who has caused this problem so mr ndole if we look at uh, last time I, i was in uh, one of the discussions that uh, you organized i did mention a little bit about people to look at where they are at the moment versus during the election time and uh, one of the things we already know where the unga price is at uh, without a subsidy when we look at sustainability of our country and we look at the debt that our country had acquired somebody actually would not even believe that we had a country running right because the debt in that country is way more than we could even handle or we can even handle at the moment uh when you look at the cost of living why it was high is because number one, we were living from day to day and not looking at what is it there for us tomorrow and part of that is we were trying to just put a bandaid into all the problems that were coming up while we're still continuing to borrow if we were borrowing for us to eat we if we were borrowing for us to just have every meal for the day for us to feed our people we have to borrow without figuring out how our people can feed themselves then we we were in trouble so when the government came into power and and what one thing that also full disclosure that um i blame my government or i fault my government is my government when we got power right after the election we did not really explain to the people how government works and what was there for the government at that moment we tried to want to fix things and then when you were coming to explain them of what's going on 
Mm-hmm. The other side, or rather the opposition, had already started hitting the government so much. So when you're coming out to the masses to tell them, hey, this is the fact of the matter where we are economically, then the blame had already shifted from you are the government, you're supposed to fix it from day one. But they promised promise to fix the government. They, the line that uh, President Ruto said uh, is he'll put the Bible down and the economy is going to turn the economy around. I don't ex- know the exact line that he said, but that was the gist of what you were saying. Daweka Biblia Chili, and then I'll start uh, dealing with all these corrupt people and all that. Although he didn't, re- he didn't really care too much about corruption, but he kind of expressed that he was going to turn things around. That was and, and things are turning around. Uh, Bonandola, if you look right now at where the price of Unga is at today without a mm-hmm. subsidy versus where we were we are way much better off what's the price of unga right now the last one that i saw was 182 kenyan shillings i have to double check that sounds a little yes. bit low but i have to double check just look I, at that I, yeah. this is something that i keep on top every single day because everywhere i go i find somebody who's criticizing my government that's the first thing that i have to talk about so i'm very competent <laughs> with that <laughs> i don't i understand the, that the, the, unga, the politics of unga you yes. gotta understand that unga is everything <laughs> yes i have to understand that pretty yeah but what it is is the economic advisors to the president are looking at it this way are we able to ride this wave of uh, economic downturn for us to be able to to sustain ourselves and for our economy to improve and we start getting better if you look at kenya i believe we should be the either the fourth or the fifth biggest economy in africa right and looking at that in as much as yes people are saying there's no money kenya is not broke so let's let me first clarify that kenya is not broke yeah the only thing that kenya is doing right now is trying to prioritize how do we set ourselves back to be stable again and for that just like any other family mr Dolan, i've given this example because at one time i didn't have a job easy money was a layoffs were there yeah. is we had to sit down with my family and decide hey we are not gonna eat out again for a lot while you know what we were used to having different kind of meals can we just survive with ugali and maybe rice uh, pretty much until we are back on if uh, we used to take vacations do we cut these vacations down yes we used to go to church we used to drive can we do this church on zoom so all these things you have to sit down of course my children will not understand that because they were used to a certain lifestyle and when that lifestyle is not provided anymore of course they have questions and they will not feel comfortable with that a good example for the government is deciding do we pay our debts or do we pay our civil servants, right? This is an issue that's going on right now. So what what what, what should they pay? Should they pay the debts or the civil servants? So <laughs> if you listen to different economists, they have different ideas about it. But this is what I believe should be done. And this is what I've heard from our people in the government trying to do is balancing the two. Of course, people are not going to get paid on time, but people will still get paid. The Why would debts, people not get paid in time? That does not make any sense to me they've already come in and produced their labor and uh, you made a commitment to them that once they finish the labor at the end of the month where they have their bills coming they need to get their paychecks because they so, have to leave and so it Mr. doesn't Dolly, make any sense for the government to prioritize paying debt and not paying its own citizens it's like taking care of somebody else's kids and uh, so, not taking care of your kids that doesn't make so, any sense to me so the way we are looking at this, Mr. Ndole, is if is it possible to delay your payment maybe 10 
to 15 days back, right? Or even let's say when it goes worst in 30 days, what could happen during those 30 days? We'll look at the ramifications of that versus what would happen when our credit rating has gone down and now we even have to eliminate your job that you depend on. So if we look at, I can pay you for this month, but then I cannot guarantee you being employed the following month, how are you gonna feed your family going forward? So we have to look at it and say, guess what? We might delay your payment. So yes, it does have impact on you and your family, but at the same time, that can sustain you to continue having a job where we can continue paying you going forward. Because the moment we default on this debt, for example, and our credit rating goes down, we still need to borrow money from other countries for us to continue to sustain ourselves and to bring ourselves back on track. We do need money. Okay, uh, well, maybe uh, we need to get somebody in the government to explain that. You have done a very good job explaining it for them, but they need to speak for themselves. And they just I'm need gonna, to pay gonna, me to do this. Right? They need to pay <laughs> you. Kidding. They need to pay you to explain it. So I mean, you're a businessman. You're a very well yes. respected businessman, and you've you've signed the front of the check. You're not one of the people who's signing the yes. back of the check. You've signed the front yes. of the check, so you understand these things and you know how to balance and the economies. Of so just quick uh, quick uh, recap here: the Kenyan economy. Kenya has the sixth largest economy in Africa. The top economy is Nigeria, followed by Egypt followed by South Africa followed by Algeria and then Morocco is number five although I've seen places where Algeria is not in the top and uh, Kenya comes to number four number five so in the listing that I have in front of me Kenya we are number six so it's and a very big economy and we cannot exactly. be compared by countries like Rwanda a lot of times we have people try to compare us with Rwanda Rwanda's economy is very very small back to uh, President Ruto President Ruto is a fascinating guy I've always found him to be uh, I think he's the best orator that Kenya has ever seen in terms of he's very persuasive he knows how to talk and stuff but President Ruto seems to not want to solve the issues that he have with the, that they have with the Raila Odinga. He has said that he's not going to do the handshake. So what's wrong with doing a handshake? This is what my president believes in and what the, um, the current government believes in and I also subscribe to it. When you ask for leadership and you granted that chance, I do believe the people around you and the people who have given you that mandate should let you lead according to your agenda and what you brought to the country. One of the key things that majority of the people who I do believe, especially from the mountain region, who voted for our president was because they saw what handshake had brought to the country so when we were subscribing to his ideology first and foremost we were subscribing what to did, we what, not what want. did the handshake what did the handshake bring to the country just explain that to people so, who are not familiar with these issues so first and foremost uh checks and balances all right mm -hmm. the checks and balances whereby it's That's a, a responsibility point. of the opposition Mm -hmm. I'll give you a specific one, which actually people keep talking about. I remember when there were issues that were brought up by the opposition a while ago, things like Eurobond, things like the NYS, that the opposition brought these things to the forefront. Kenyans get, got to know what was going on. You could tell at that time the April that was in the country regarding that. When we came to cancer issues, the opposition was silent. You found actually the people in government who are now the, the opposition in government are the ones who are bringing this issue. So we did see a different face of, for example, Raila that we do not see. 
I still stand to be corrected that if Raila was not in handshake, Raila could be president today. That is my belief. That's what I stand to be corrected. Because we had looked at him as somebody who would revive our country and putting the best interest of our country first. But when he went <laughs> to bed and we saw what happened to the rest of the people and how the government was run during that period of handshake, for sure, we thought it's a different Raila. And that's in as much as I have not supported him before, and I, I don't think I would support him with because of the ideologies that he brings to the table and what I believe in. But majority of Kenyans had trust in him when he was outside the government. This would have been a time whereby there could have been change uh, and he could have gotten that chance of, of getting to government. The handshake with the Uhuru Kenyatta was not the first time that Raila has engaged in, a, in some kind of reconciliation with the government of the day. He did uh, engage in a reconciliation with uh, Daniel Arap Moy, which uh, was, was, uh, was given credit for the bringing up of the opposition that was eventually able to remove the Kanu regime from power. And uh, ironically, at that time, Uhuru Kenyatta is the one who was running for president and he was defeated by Raila's uh, ally, Mwai uh, Kibaki, after Raila said, well, Kibaki Tosha, he dismantled the Kanu coalition. So, and then after Salim. that, after mm -hmm. that, we were able to get the 2010 constitution which we are celebrating for bringing good things like devolution. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things, one of the people who are really opposed to the 2010 constitution is none other than the current president, uh, mm -hmm. William Ruto, who is now sitting there celebrating the constitution and mm -hmm. vowing with all his breath that he's going to defend it. So do you think that uh, this idea that the handshake is such a bad thing is actually a red herring, is actually a displacement of what really happened? And yes. Ruto is just using the handshake to hide mm -hmm. Uh, behind, uh, he's using the handshake to hide behind the idea that he had a falling out with his principal, so he wants to blame the handshake for everything, when he in fact was the one who was sabotaging the government from inside. One thing that I've been fortunate to do is to try and look at some studies that have been done regarding the Kenyan electorate. How people think when it comes to governance and how they look at things. The perception, number one, matters a lot. Okay, Perception of Kenyans when Tinga that time was joining Kanum, everybody feared the, the Moi role. Everybody understood what dictatorship was. Our minds were already set to that. So getting something different actually was difficult for people. Uh, coming to Kibaki, we were introduced to a new constitution in 2010. By 2017, that's when people had really started understanding what this constitution is, things that like what is devolution, because we had now already had a whole term of devolution uh, in there. So people did not really quite understand the 2010 constitution. Now is when people are really, even when you look at participation when it comes to politics, the Kenyan people, now is when they're really participating a lot and people understanding what their rights are, that you can have a voice, what you vote means. We are still not there yet, but we are way much better. We are progressing. So the way people looked at Raila then and the way they looked at him in 2017, there's also a mind shift. The Raila that people knew and were, had that urge of making sure that we might see change or the change that people want to believe in, which is very different from person to person. That thrust of that uh, of that change in, in 2022 diminished because of that. And if you look at actually Kenya Kwanzaa, now when we put a lot of things down, we just put politics into it. That was one of our game plans for us to win, was to show how the, what had come with the handshake. And we were able to elaborate that very well to the Kenyan electorate.
Thank you very much. You are listening to the Africana Voice podcast. So now we want to wrap it up and we want to see, just a, a go, going back to the diaspora real quick before we wrap it up. What's your position? What's the Kenya Kwanzaa position with diaspora voting? Because this is a big thing. Uh, we did have a lot of forums about diaspora voting. Is there anything being done on that? Uh, because time is running and I haven't heard anything about it. Uh, so there are a few things that uh, are in the works. First and foremost, uh, on the diaspora department, I know they're trying to figure out how to either increase the consulates that we have. This is an issue that I'm very vested in. Uh, first and foremost, I'm fighting and lobbying for Minnesota to have a full consulate, not just a honorary consulate. Uh, because when you look at number one, economically, uh, where, uh, where Minnesota is, we have a lot of Fortune 500 companies here that actually directly deal with African countries and have vested interest in Africa and also in Kenya in particular. We also have, like for example, here in Minnesota, cities that have partnered up with Kenyan cities like Minneapolis, the city of Minneapolis has partnered up with the city of Eldoret. We've seen the fire fire gears taken there, the fire trucks that Eldoret has come directly from Minnesota. Uh, their training uh, is also directly from Minnesota. When it comes to masses too, actually a study that was done in 2019 by Dr. Otiso and, uh, and and, and now he's revising the census on that, you find that uh, Hennepin County in particular has the largest number of Kenyans in the U.S. But when you look at the total states, Texas, yes, does beat Minnesota, but we are number two when it comes to how many people in Minnesota. We have a huge... We have a great relationship between the, the, the local Kenyan organizations and the state government. Um, so this is these are things that we're looking at. So if we have consulates here and more consulates open around the uh, around the world, then Kenyans are able to get that opportunity to vote. Nevertheless, something that we have tried to front to the government is for us to try and see if we can change the constitution a little bit or something can be passed like a law and not just an amendment even a bill passed through to just grant kenyans to be able to organize places where they can vote and the government to do that locally uh without having people travel distances for voting that that could be done because right now by the constitution you can only vote in the kenyan consulates missions and embassies our goal is to continue to lobby for diaspora our goal is to continue to ensure that uh, we are in discussion with the government to give the people that right to vote. You don't have to spend $2,500 just to fly to go vote for just 10 minutes and fly back. Um, yeah. So that is something that we are lobbying. The government knows about that issue, is very passionate about it. Because if you can see how he engaged the diaspora before the vote was done, uh, he did a wonderful job of that. So he just for the record, do you think it was a good idea for the MPs to come for the visit? Or do you think that is contributing to some confusion that Kenyans are having uh, that looks as if uh uh, there's too many this government is disjointed <laughs> just just briefly it was a good thing because yeah. mm -hmm. it was a good thing i did see the fruits that came out of that visit the other thing it goes to kenyans being educated on how government works for example the members of parliament when they go to parliament they don't do majority of the work there the majority of the work is done in the committees this is where i would say 80 to 85 percent of the work is done uh, by parliament those committees have an autonomy and they also have a duty to ensure that Number one, they put structures in place for government. They have to investigate what's going on in government. The committees, for example, these MPs who just came
came, there were three committees being represented. There was the Diaspora Affairs Committee, the Foreign Affairs Committee, and the Immigration Committee. One of the things they wanted to see was to observe the mobile services and give an account to government if what should be done. The other thing was also to listen to Kenyans because there's been a lot of issues, uh, not just in this continent, for example, in, in the Middle East, about issues of, um, you know, the domestic workers issues and all that. And the Diaspora Affairs Committee, which is the newest baby in town or the newest kid on the block, has actually done a lot of work and investigation just from Kenya. Yeah. All right. So when it comes to them now traveling to see exactly what they've done, the reports that they've been getting, now to see it firsthand is very important for the government with the decisions that they make. You know how so, many people in that delegation? The delegation for the for members the of parliament? Yeah. We had four members of parliament that came the first day and then later on another one joined. So it was a delegation of five. By the time the one came, uh, actually she's my women rep from uh, Embu. Now the, uh, the rest of have gone home so even their stay is very short they're trying to make sure that they live within the means i think uh i have taken a lot of your time i would like for us to wrap it up so we're gonna play a game we're gonna play a game uh, and then i'm gonna give you a name and then you're gonna tell me the first thing that comes to your mind and these are kenyan politicians you're a political guy so it shouldn't be a, <laughs> it shouldn't be a problem at all <laughs> okay. okay it so, depends uh, man it all right okay. all right so let's start let me start with uh kalonzo musiok fear fear the word fear comes to your mind the word fear comes to my mind at, yes. at least at least you didn't say watermelon so, so no 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 that's no, a, no that's fear comes answer. to my mind he's a fearful person of the unknown so let's go to mike sonko <sighs> I don't want to be disrespectful, but I would say it's somebody to keep more than an arm's length from. Kidure uh, Kindiki. He's a smooth player, let me put it that way, uh, when it comes to politics. Uh, this is a guy who understands what he's doing. He likes to work in silence and then show results, very committed. But at the same time, he can be very slippery. Okay, All right. fair enough. Uh, Raila Odinga. I think Raila, he's a true believer in himself and a true believer in governance okay so yes. you're saying he's not a believer in democracy he's a believer i don't government. think he's a believer in democracy because if i look at his party that he leads when it comes to even nominations there's no democracy in it when it comes to governance i think he can govern well if he was given an opportunity to for example to be our president i think he would straighten some of the things that other people in the previous administrations were scared of. Problem with him is that part of democracy and the people he surrounds himself with. Okay, all right, fair enough, fair enough. And Rigadi uh, Gashagwa. Oh my goodness. I think he's, he's a truthful guy, but he has not understood diplomacy well when it comes to giving the truth in as much as a politician and as a person you need to be truthful you have to figure out how you bring this truth to the people so he's a guy that you can either love him or hate him there's no in between and yeah. uh, for me yeah. actually i love him because he speaks the truth and he's uh, at the forefront of a lot of issues and he doesn't fear he's, i think he needs to start working on just not being so abrasive to with a lot of issues and kind of yeah. bring people together a little bit <laughs> Martha Karua. before this last election i would have described her as a principled person but with this election i saw a different side of mother Karua that i did not know uh, mm -hmm. she is a person who when she called a spade a spade it was a spade not a big spoon 
with mm-hmm. this election, we did see that she did compromise some things for the position that she was nominated for, which I think if she stood firm with the things that she believed in before, a lot of people with this 2010 constitution where it is right now could have understood what she subscribed to long time ago. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, my good friend. And yes. uh, we have come to the end of our podcast, the Africana Voice podcast, uh, with me, Maurice Ndole, the publisher of the Africana Voice. And our guest today was uh, my good friend, Samuel Ileri, who is based off in Minnesota. So, Sam, thank you so much for coming on and uh, thank you for all the insight you provided for us. And yes. I'm looking forward to doing another show with you down in the future. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate you and uh, what you do. Thank you.